Loaded show today. Got Will Lou in a couple minutes. Sid Sixero in the 10 o'clock hour. And a couple of Canadians fighting on UFC 297's card. A lot Very going strong. on. Yeah, coming in studio. Honestly, don't love it. Said to you guys before, they're good-looking dudes. Definitely not taking a picture. What this, are you trying to say about me, by the way? Like, my good looks This is part done. of why you were hired. <laughs> this is my hiring process. I'm like, if you're taller than me, you got to be ugly. <laughs> real uh, ugly. Thanks, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, real, real ugly. But, yeah, shorter, it's fine. You can be a handsome guy. Armin's really stunting today. He wore an earring, like a real flashy earring. It was the talk of the newsroom. I love how he thought he was going to get away with it, too. He thought he was going to come in here with this diamond earring, this big hoop earring. <laughs> like, and, and he was just, oh, why is everyone talking about this? Yeah, man, you showed up in front of a bunch of dudes with a massive, shiny earring. It was going to get talked about. I think it was this is great. Alfonso Davies treat that I've got it right now. That, hey. What does that mean? Like, you think you're the star? <laughs> no, I had a reporter kind of rag on him because... Uh, he had diamond earrings on for the World Cup and things. Anyway. No, that was dumb. Yeah, I forgot about that. When he didn't talk to media and everyone was mad. Yeah. I was like, at first, that was one of those things where I, I showed I showed my ass. Because I was, I, I don't follow soccer enough to know that the soccer players don't ever really talk to the media. And I went, yeah, that is, that is wrong. And then all the soccer bros went, <laughs> yeah, it's standard procedure. And I went, oh, yeah, no, totally. Yeah, yes. yeah, no, of course, of course. We all knew that. Of course. We all were totally down with that and we know that he shouldn't have spoke good call good call that's crazy actually part of what i'm going to talk about with sid today is the the tfc media veil and i I didn't get a chance to talk about it on monday but i really it was i don't know if any of you saw the picture but there was a post that was put out of everybody that was watching or present for the tfc exit interviews and i think it was insignia that was up at the podium and he's sitting there, and it was one reporter. One guy. Yeah, one reporter. Not great. So, yeah, I do want to talk about where that franchise is at. And just in, in general, I think there's something it says about Toronto sports as well. The way people receive that, the way people receive the Argos loss, that there, there, there is this weird thing in the city of whoever that fourth team is, whoever's trying to gain a little momentum – and try to steal the spotlight from one of the big franchises, the the big three, right? Leafs, yeah. Blue Jays, Raptors. Whatever organization seemingly gets their chance to shine, there's just a large part of the population that either wants to see them fail or will celebrate their failure. Yeah, real quick to bury. Yeah, just and, and just really loves it. And it's strange because I went on that Argos rant yesterday and I heard from a lot of people that reached out and said that they enjoyed it and that they agreed with it. And I I think it resonates with a lot of Argos fans because they're definitely in that group. They're definitely in the group of fans that, hey, things start to happen well for you. No one's going to say anything. Things happen poorly. All of a sudden, a lot of people are going to come out of the woodwork and start to trash you. And I think TFC deals with the same stuff. For sure. Um, I think the Raptors used to deal with that. The Raptors used to have that, like, before the championship especially, there was a large portion of people. And now it's weird because it's almost zagged the other way where, like, there's a lot of basketball fans who still harbor the, the bullying from people who <laughs> like talkies, right? Yeah. They, they went, hey, now, now we've grown up. 
are you going to learn your lesson? Are you going to be kind to people? And they're like, no. Absolutely not. We are going to be mean, and we are going <laughs> to trash hockey and view it as a rival. It's almost backwards in this country. Like, the rest of the world, hockey is basically, well, I shouldn't say the rest of the world, but in North American sports, ESPN, they're starting to push hockey now, right? Yeah. It's becoming actually on their radar. But for the most part, hockey is in the elevator with a NBA Don Draper. And yeah. we're at the same time, and Don Draper goes, I don't think about you at yeah. all. Little right? brother. Little Here brother. it's the opposite. Here it's a little bit of the, you get a little pushback like that. So, yeah, maybe it's just sports fandom in the city, the way that some fans don't feel like there's enough oxygen for every team. I, like, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but it is a weirdness that I'm not sure applies to other places. Like, if you look at other Eastern sports markets, Philadelphia, Boston. I'm not sure there's the same infighting between fans of teams. Yeah, like Bruins fans. Right. I think that Celtics fans. I think that they're just Celtics fans. Yeah. I think that everybody's just kind of on the same page. And here, for whatever reason, it feels like everybody's allowed to like the Blue Jays because they don't compete up against anything. And then the Leafs are huge, the Raptors are huge, but there's weird tension between the fan bases. I think it's, again, started by all the Leafs people and all the people that just crowned the Raptors, I mean, in a bad way, like dunked on Raptors yeah, yeah. And, their, and their fans forever and ever and ever. And it was just the only reason that the Raptors sell out is because it was people trying to buy Leaf season tickets, whatever. And then the Raptors became something that, yeah, a lot of people, like younger people gravitated towards became kind of a cooler brand. The We The North thing was a real hit. Yeah. The championship solidified them as the actual winners, the people that could get things done. All of a sudden, people started to glom on to the raps, and then there was the pushback of like, whoa, 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 don't, don't come and try to make our thing lame. It's called yeah. Jurassic Park. Yeah. Remember that. But then again, if there's just, it, there just never seems to be room for that fourth team in the city. Yeah. There never seems to be room for anyone to say, hey, we're really paying attention to the Argos or, hey, we're really paying attention to TFC without a large portion of people who are sports fans not hoping they lose necessarily, but kind of celebrating it when they do. Anyway, I want to talk about that with Sid and why he thinks that is. Uh, Rap's massive comeback last night. Here's the thing. Siakam was great. He really was. He was just fun to watch, stayed aggressive. The rest of the Raptors showed up. I thought that they had the flu. I thought that they came back from this trip and that everybody had the flu. I was watching Scotty Barnes. I was even, I texted our buddy, Blake Murphy. I went, is Scotty sick? And he was like, he didn't participate in warmups. And I went, okay, that makes sense. Cause he's not even moving. Mm. And then he just showed up for the fourth quarter. Once the game started to get close, <laughs> it was then 10 points. Scotty Barnes completely shifted. So I think we can put the, the sick stuff to bed. So that was nice. And it's a big 20 point comeback, 21 to one run. I think it was, it was nice. It was really good. I bet I live bet the Raptors, not so much because the Raps, because the Wiz. Because of the Wizards. Yeah, sure, it's the Wizards. Sure. It's the Wizards. But <laughs> it was it was both. It was just when <laughs> when it got to twelve, I went, Yeah, I know where this is going. Yeah. And it's going to where Kyle Kuzma's walking over in the middle of the play doing the hey, to the go to the review. <laughs> yeah. And the Raptors went, the, no one stopped the play. <laughs> Buckets. But I, I also I, I don't know. how am I supposed to feel when the team is needing two massive comebacks to beat the San Antonio Spurs? And the Washington Wizards, yeah. arguably the two worst teams in the NBA, at least two of them. Uh, Will Lou, the Raptor Show. What's up, brother? How we doing? What's going on? Yeah, that's a weird one, right? Like, I, I don't know. I, very weird. Normally, I listen to your post-game reactions. I didn't want to do it this time because I, I was talking to you today. and I didn't want it yeah. to influence the conversation or have it kind of shift anything. But, yeah, this was one where I was excited in the moment, right? How could you not be? The Raptors are coming back. Siakam's looking great. All of a sudden, Barnes is turning it on. Malachi Flynn, my stock through the roof because he's mm. closing a basketball game. I went, here we go. My stock is up. I'll never sell. I'll never, ever, ever sell, no matter how many bad turnovers. Um, and then the game ends, and people are celebrating it. I went, well, wait. 
And, and Darko hit it in the post game, right? He goes, yeah, it was good comeback. Or, well, I don't know what exactly what the quote was, but it was something along the lines of, it was a good attention to detail to finish, but we kind of need that to start too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, basically three of their five wins on the season is this exact formula. It was the same thing on home opener. Um, they didn't get down a lot, but yeah. you know, he came in and he gave that speech after they showered him uh, for his first ever win. And, and he was like, none of you guys played your best game tonight, but we won. You know, and then the San Antonio game was kind of the same deal. They played terrible for three quarters, and then Scotty Barnes turned it on. They force overtime, and they win it. And then this game, um, which really was awful in the first half. Like, oh my god, I couldn't believe that the crowd wasn't booing them off the court. Like, I'm I'm not trying to wish them ill will, but they played um, with this like incredible lethargy that just. I don't know. I mean, it's the Wizards on a second half of back-to-back. And you knew that they're always going to leave the door open because, you know, they're the Wizards and they're yeah. terrible. Like, literally last night uh, or two nights ago um, on Sunday night, they were playing in Brooklyn for the first half of the back-to-back. And they gave up a 10 nothing run at, the, like, the last minute of the game and they lost the game. So I'm like, okay, there's a real chance that we can beat the Wizards. But also at the same time, like... Yeah, the Raptors, they really need to execute or need to just show up. Um, and it felt like Darko for the whole game was just trying to find five guys who would play hard mm-hmm. and eventually found those guys. And, and shout out to your boy Malachi, man. Yeah. He's really been, he's really been a, a it, promising storyline. I know. I, I, I'm like Nick Nurse is being celebrated in Philadelphia and they're off to this incredible <laughs> start. And I'm just burying it. I'm like, yeah, well, Malachi uh-huh. Flynn, though. So. Maybe we were both right. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe so, everyone's Somehow Nick right. Nurse is turning Tyrese Maxey into yeah. Damian Lillard, but look what Darko's doing to Malachi. Yeah. It's totally different. I think to my bigger takeaway is when you remove James Harden from a situation, is yeah. it's good. And that when he goes somewhere else, it's bad. And that I'm really, really enjoying the Clipper stuff. Like they have an in-season tournament game tonight, and it feels mm. big for them, right? This is Denver. this is why, yeah. by the way, the Raptors will never play an in-season tournament game, right? I know they actually play one Friday, <laughs> but yeah. I, I love seeing the updated standings, and I like that we're into game three for some teams, and the Raptors mm. are still like, at some point, you'll see it. <laughs> at some point, it'll happen. Yeah, uh, I believe the Raptors will be the last team in the league to to participate in this thing. Yeah. I, look, I'm interested to see what the court looks like for Toronto at uh, least, but um, you know, besides that, I mean, it, it's a, I'm not looking forward, let's just let's just say to another game against the Celtics, man. They they yeah. really have our number. Yeah, actually, you know what? Just two quick things on this. One is mm-hmm. I actually like the court ideas. It just I like just that the NBA is trying something different, trying something new, especially with regular seasons which feel really tired. It's 82 games. We're all very much, hey, what are you going to do in the playoffs? What are you going to do in the playoffs? So at least they took a shot to try try to do something different, right? And mm-hmm. I, even seeing Steph Curry talk about, there's some teams where it's not they're not going to care too much. Maybe they'll want the money. I think there's some fan bases that probably don't want to win because it just becomes at least not the first one, right? Not the first one, not the memorable one because it it's an easy shot, right? If you're a Knicks fan, you can't win the in-season tournament and not have a championship in this long. You know, you can't be the Clippers and win, right? There's a few teams that it's sort of ugly for. Uh, I like a lot of the courts. Some are horrifically bad. Like, I hated the Pacers one. The the Phoenix one is disgusting. I think the Raptors one might be the worst of them all. Like, there's real... I think that's the reason that they put it last is because they're letting us all see (laughs) these other courts and kind of it's like we don't get the bends, so we're being slowly submerged. We're not just going right to the bottom of the depths. And then when we get there, we're like, Oof, okay, we were ready for this. Yeah, look, I think it looks really rushed. Like to the point where you heard those stories from 
um, two of the in-season tournament games involving Dallas, where the first one, they drew the three-point line wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like They literally <laughs> drew it wrong. They made it too far. So players are warming up, and they're like, wow, yeah. we're bricks today. And then they're like, wait, hold on. The line is literally wrong. Yeah. And then the second time they did it, like apparently like it was too slippery because yeah. of the coding or whatever. Yeah. Uh, or like they couldn't pick it up on the cameras. Like you couldn't distinguish where the lines were. So they just played on the regular court. So yeah. I feels like the league kind of like had this idea last second to make it look like super distinctive. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think execution will be better going forward, at least I hope. I also think that like, I don't know. They gotta get a little bit more creative with the designs. Like I get mm-hmm. it's, it's the uniformity of it. I don't mind like the big trophy in the middle and then the lines extending out. But like, give it some more personality, some more character. Don't just make it all like beet red or like yeah. uh, super gray. You know, like yeah, let people put some characteristics on it. Like I would love to see a Toronto court, for example, with like you know the map of Toronto essentially on the court. You know, yeah. like, oh, it'd be like you know, that would I guess be cool. Definitely sure. already says like you know. Pascal Siakam from Etobicoke or whatever, but yeah. like it would be kind of sick if you actually did shoot it from Etobicoke. Yeah, I, I, I do like that idea. I actually don't love the trophy down the middle. It's like, almost like they're trying to make the trophy a thing, and it's yeah. just it, don't try to make the trophy a thing. No one's ever going to remember what that trophy's called. Does it have a name? It doesn't have a name. Yeah, okay. No. Yeah, okay. Because yeah. I was going to say that uh, I remember they, they renamed a bunch of the awards and were like, okay, right. we're doing this. Right. So now nobody knows what any of the awards are called. So maybe they just decided to throw this in the mix for whoever got left out. Actually, that would have been a good idea for whoever got pinched on some of the awards. They could have just been like, hey, you were the you were the runner up for this award. So technically, you're the runner up trophy for the NBA's championship. That's this the in season tournament. Uh, I am uh, like uh, the thing I like is the games have been a little competitive. They have been a little bit more enjoyable. It has been something a bit different, but yeah, I'm not sure that that's going to be the case with the, the Raptors and the Celtics. Where were you at with the, the whole disrespect angle? Cause my, my take was, I liked it. I just, I want there to be hatred between these two teams. I want to feel like the Celtics view the Raptors in some kind of way that they even want to disrespect them. And so to me, there's just with all the friendliness in the NBA with Katie and LeBron coming out and being like, yo, you want to beat your friend more than your enemy. Anyway, I actually love something like this. Yeah. I mean, I, my takeaway is I think Joe Mazzulla might just be a jerk. Like, I don't think it's necessarily like a, a rivalry kind of thing. Like that game was not mm. competitive in the slightest. Like the Raptors didn't show up to Boston and I felt like that hangover effect even carried over to the game they played against Washington yesterday. The first half was arguably even worse than what they did in Boston. But, um, I mean, these two teams have played each other, obviously, a ton, just being in the same conference. Obviously, they played the the, the bubble series. Um, I think that was actually a really big, big series in terms of um, the Celtics getting over the hump. Mm-hmm. They talked about how difficult that series was. I don't know how the Raptors forced it to seven uh, in that one. I know Kyle Lowry single-handedly won the Raptors two of those games. Um, but there was like a triple overtime game in there. Uh, and somehow when you looked at the the final series, it was like Pascal shooting 35% for the series. Fred is shooting 30% for the series. Kyle is shooting 40% from the series. I don't know how they force seven games, but regardless, like it's just a really bad matchup for the Raptors. And I feel like I've seen that game played many, many times where the Celtics win it by like 20 plus points and they bomb away from three and the Raptors bench looks really disorganized and the Raptors starters don't really step up to match Tatum or Brown. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, in terms of the rivalry aspect of it, I mean, I, I, I think there is like, I mean, I, th- I think it's been really one-sided um, at least on the basketball side of things. I think part of it is a carryover of like, you know, Leafs fans struggling with Bruins fans and and how much the Bruins have sort of tormented the Leafs over the years. So maybe there's a bit of like carryover 
I think it's just uh, Toronto wants to be Boston in general. Toronto sports yeah. fans look at Boston and they're yeah. like, damn, we wish we were you. We wish we were championship city. We wish right. we were the city where all the fans were, again, together on the same page, happy, celebrating parade after parade. And we want this rivalry with them like because we want to be on the same page. But when in reality, you're right. There's like the Leafs don't beat the Bruins. The Raptors don't beat the Celtics. There's yeah. th- there's nothing really here. Even the, the Blue Jays, they can't rival the Red Sox in terms of any meaningful wins. So, yeah, we're just kind of there wishing and hoping that we were kind of that when in reality, it's just, it's, it's not it. I think, it, I think it's that it's, it's like the direct reflection of what we wish we were as sports fans and as teams. Yeah. Which is, I, and that's not anything against Toronto. I don't think like, no, Boston you should is genuinely like one of the most successful te- <laughs> yeah. like cities yeah. for sports period. Yeah. So yeah, it is what it is. No, I completely it, like, there's nothing wrong with it. It just, sometimes it does feel kind of funny when we go, it's the rivalry. And I'm like, mm. it's not a rivalry. Guys. Yeah. I'm like, mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. here's what I would say. Uh, I think Raptors fans have much stronger feelings for the Celtics than Celtics fans have for the Raptors. They go, have you heard of the Lakers and us? <laughs> you know what this is? Go get the HBO. Go get the Crave subscription and see what. <laughs> go watch uh, these. Go get Crave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what you should be doing right now. Uh, okay, so Siakam was awesome last night, right? And I-, I watched your show, the like I think it was last week, where you guys were basically just, hey, everybody chill out about the trade deadline, okay? Everybody just let us talk about these games as one-offs and not have everything be a referendum on the team. But I couldn't help myself last night, right? Because yeah. OG's out and I'm going, oh, there was this, this was a potential reality, right? No OG, no Gary Trent. What are the Raptors if they're just the Siakam and Scotty team? And Okay, Scotty played fine down the stretch. Siakam basically just the, was the only guy who was going. Uh, how did you feel just watching the two of them where it's just the two of them and the way that they kind of fit together? It's a hard game to do it with because it was such a weird circumstance game. But do you get the sense that it's always, hey, it's one guy or the other? Yeah, I think there there definitely is a bit of that because, you know, um, they don't necessarily like play off of each other all that much, right? In terms of directly playing off each other, so it's not like Pascal runs a pick and roll with Scotty, or Scotty runs a pick and roll with Pascal, or they are connecting the dots and then finding each other a lot. You know, um, part of that is because they they're the same size, and so if they do run sort of two man actions, they're easily neutralized by switching. Um, now, once they do opponents do switch, there probably is a good matchup for either of them to attack, mm-hmm. and so there is a synergy in the sense that like. The, the best defender can only guard one of those two guys, so therefore they're helping each other, at least at certain times, by pulling the best defender off of the other. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of the direct, like, actual, like, uh, coexistence, it's not so much additive. I think part of that also is the fact that they don't really shoot threes that great. But I think also in a game like that yesterday, I love seeing what Pascal did in the third quarter, 22 points, 8 of 10 shooting, just yeah. went to the basket over and over and yeah. over again. And then when he came out the game to start the fourth quarter because he needed a break, you know, the offense for the Raptors dried up again. And that's where I think for Scotty in that game, Scotty just should just do the exact same thing and just try to go to the paint over and over and over again. And part of that is just based on his teammates finding him the ball, the Raptors executing to get him in positions to post up. But let's be honest, it wasn't like so hard to get the ball anywhere in, in, on the court last night against Washington. They're terrible defensively. And so I think what I would like to see is uh, like, a continuation of that. So we essentially have 48 minutes of that type of like primary scoring play. Um, but yeah, in terms of the, the direct actual like guys playing off of each other, it's it's a little bit hard to, to find that. I think they probably have some synergy in transition, but 
I mean, transitions, transition, right? Yeah, like, that's say. like 20% of the game at most. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, defensively, I think there's more for sure, but it, it's not like the perfect, like, skill fit. Having said that, though, like, my preference would just be for one of those guys when when they're on the floor without each other, which Darko does do a decent job of splitting them up. Um, I want that continued effort and, and that aggressiveness to score from both of those guys, independent of each other, and and that's where I think that that the Raptors can find more ways to 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 bring more production out of the two of them. So that's where I'm at with it. I, it feels weird, but I get way more excited when they're split up, and I think that's a bit of a bad sign. And the other part is, again, I'm trying not to read too much in one game, especially one where Barnes just really didn't feel like he was prepared to play last night until the fourth quarter, until it got close. But, but man, just when Siakam has the ball and he's just standing in the corner, I'm like, okay, what, what, Scotty Barnes sitting in the corner is doing what for me exactly? Same thing. Sometimes when Barnes has the ball, Siakam just running out and standing in the corner. And I'm... I'm a little surprised that the Raptors haven't at least attempted to be a little more creative with having the two guys play off of one another. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, there's this consistent push to like, okay, um, we could, instead of using Jakob as like this post hub and where he directs traffic. And I thought he actually did a decent mm. job. Like he really found Pascal a couple of times to start the third quarter, which really got Pascal going. I think defensively I had a real, like bone to pick with yak yesterday he was just so i mean i don't know guys were just driving right through him for layups yeah even though he was right there at the rim but yeah i mean i suppose you could use them in the in the post and sort of like had them cut off of each other that's one thing for sure but i think for both pascal and scotty when they're in the post their their main advantage is that they can score from there mm-hmm. um and so they're not necessarily i don't necessarily want to run cutters through the lane all the time because that just introduces double teams and makes it a little bit counterproductive but um yeah, I'm sure they can find different ways to make them creative. I think, again, when, when neither of them can really shoot that well, um, you know, it's just hard to get them to be great off ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the things that would help is that they had great shooters around them, and maybe you can set off ball screens with those really good shooters uh, and then create a distraction, essentially, or create a, you know, um, hesitation in the defense where they go with the shooters and that frees up. Pascal and Scotty to cut, and I think they have good hands. They're big. They can cut to the basket, no problem. But the Raptors also don't have great shooters to screen off ball with them either. So um, that's you know, why OG I feel for feels so much more important, right? This is why OG yeah, just miss him so sure. much. He's he's one of their best guys off the ball. He makes great cuts. He's one of the only guys on the team that does that, right? I think mm-hmm. I saw a stat somewhere about the Raptors. It might have actually been JJ Redick just talking about it when he was talking about the the Raptors' job, how little the team actually made cuts towards the basket that mm-hmm. it was just a, a real issue with the team in general and them not having OG in the lineup, just the spacing and the cutting, you really feel his absence. And and that's it is again, it's one game and it's against the wizards and I get it. We're trying not to do the deadline show every single time, but it, it really does feel like now nah, you're, you're pairing the more natural fit with Scotty Barnes and that. Yes. Yeah, Yakum, I hate to say it, but last night it felt like good. Pad the stats, have an awesome game, up the trade value. <laughs> like that's that's how I felt for large stretches of the game last night. It just did. It, it's I I really do feel like it's going to come down to this because the the more we see of the fit, the the less it seems to work. And even I think it was you know you guys had Darko on your show at the very beginning of the season, right? And one of the questions was, hey, how are you guys going to make Scotty and Pascal work together? And I think I played the audio on my show because he was basically he didn't even answer the question. Uh-huh. He sort of went, yep, no, uh, here's this is about the rest of the team. 
he wasn't even interested in being like, here's my actual plan to make these two guys work. Here's my vision for making these two guys work. Because I'm not sure that, like, even as you're trying to theorize it, right, where you're going, okay, well, maybe they could do this more. Maybe there's this other way. It's just the same thing kind of remains true, which is they occupy the same spaces. They have a lot of the similar skill sets. You want them to do similar things. And the best realities for both of them are when they're usually split up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and look, listen, like, that's... That's a huge long-term thing to sort of have to figure out, right? Mm-hmm. And you hope that one of them can develop more three-point shooting mm. to, to sort of complement that. I mean, we're seeing that a little bit from Scotty. Pascal's on a wicked cold streak from three. One like, of 19 uh, in his last five. Yeah, that's that's really tough. Um, it's, uh, I don't know. There's, there, it's just really, like, yeah. I have this thing where I love watching the players, like, warm up. And, yeah. like, the, it's just a really busy shot for Pascal. Like, his legs are moving. His base is really wide. The release is like a little bit different each time. So like I think he's really searching for it. Like I don't think he's like at this level where he's shooting so poorly from three. Um it's, some of those things will improve um just as he regresses back to his regular form. But yeah, I mean, look, long term, like it, it's a it's a thing you, you really gotta figure out because I mean, low key, like it's also kind of affecting how much Jakob can be even used. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they brought in Jakob last year purposely. They chose not to um you know, rebuild. Um, and instead they, they sort of committed to the season or committed long-term to this group with bringing Jakob in. And like, he's like half the games, Jakob doesn't even close, mm-hmm. you know, like he didn't close that Spurs game. Then the fourth quarter, he wasn't on the floor for that. Um, mm-hmm. In this game, he, he didn't see the floor pretty much at all in the fourth quarter. I don't think, um, you know, it, this is kind of what they do. They, they start closing games without him just so that they can get more spacing on the floor. They close one of those games with like auto, at the four, I think the 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 Dallas game they closed it with Otto at the five. Like, mm-hmm. so it, it hurts sort of how much you can use him as well. Like, I think part of it is if you had a spacing five, it's a little bit easier sort of to to sort of maximize those guys. I think overall though, like the team just kind of really lacks guard, you know, like production. I mean, I think Dennis has started the season really well. He's been a positive surprise, but then yesterday happened and it was like, whoa, mm-hmm. what is going on here? Um, and uh, yeah, besides. Dennis, it was like Malachi maybe comes in and gives you a tiny bit of a spark. But even when he's on, the the effect is kind of small. And then Gary and Grady have really struggled to start the season as well. I think they just really lack like one really, really good guard. And I guess it's a question of how do you get that kind of guard? Because I I suppose if we are going to do Pascal trades, that's kind of the idea, right? You turn Pascal into a guard who can really give you a lot offensively. Um, I think that would make, you know, a lot of these problems, I, I guess, go away. Um, my question then is like, how good is your defense? But I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know, man. Pascal's defense right now is kind of up and down too. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm worried about the shooting because they they already have so little of it on the team, like you said. So all of a sudden, if Siakam, we made four threes last night. Yeah, man. yeah. How is that even possible <laughs> in 2023? Can, can I tell you something too? I can't believe it's four. I um, went, I can't remember the four. I, there were two Grady Dick threes because I went, yep. oh, my God, he can hit it. All right, thank God. It's, uh-huh. not, it's not good when you're praising Grady Dick going, okay. Like, I had multiple people texting me going, all right, you know, it's possible. All right, he's, he can hit it. He can hit that yeah. shot. It's a reality. The college three versus the NBA three was a real reality for him. Uh, uh, but if they just don't have Siakam as an even passable three-point shooter, like you said, you mentioned it, it's some of it is just a cold streak, but part of it is okay uh how much of this is a cold streak though what what is he now because i don't think he's gonna be a 35 percent. you know he's not is he gonna be a 33 percent three-point shooter this year i don't think so uh that doesn't feel right 
And if he's, again, going to be playing off of Scotty Barnes and playing off of guys like Dennis Schroeder and they're going to have Jakob Pertl on the floor, it's just, boy, there's, there's not a lot there. It's why when they play a dude like Otto Porter, you go, damn, all right, a guy who can actually shoot a three competently. This is nice. Mm-hmm. Of course he's getting minutes. Of course they're going to write articles about him. Uh, yeah, there's, there's just some really tough fit issues with this team. And, like, where I'm at with the Yak thing is – they just got so desperate for a center because they went without it. And then they finally went, okay, let's just see it. And then they overpaid mm-hmm. for someone who's competent at the position, but not a needle mover there. And who's good on D, not great. Who's good on offense, not great. Competent role guy, competent finisher around the basket. But yeah, someone who you don't miss them when they're closing basketball games. You know, they have Chris Boucher in there. And you, man, I like Chris Boucher drives me nuts. Like he is the number one Raptor in terms of just makes my blood pressure rise just with some of the decision-making. Oh, unquestionably. Like there was one yesterday where he's going to the basket. He's got like two guys wide open on the rim. And he's like, no, I'm taking this contested. (laughs) I was like, yeah, I, you would, (laughs) you would do this. This is consistent, man. You got to get used to him at some point, you know, but that's the thing. It doesn't matter. It's, it it doesn't, sometimes he changes his hair and I'm like, maybe he'll be, (laughs) nope. It's same, same slim duck. It just, the, the selfishness, just kills me at times. Uh, and then he'll get all these hot runs where he looks terrific and you go, well, maybe anyway, whatever. That's way too much Chris Boucher takes, but he closes the game and I go, this is the, this is the right call. Boucher over the guy he gave a first round pick for and gave $20 million a year for. It's just, yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's uh he's a fine center. He's an okay center. I just think that, yeah, it's a pretty regrettable trade. All right. Uh, last one. So the Grady Dick thing. Yeah. He knocks down the two shots. And the Malachi Flynn conundrum. The, the problem is, it feels like the Raptors, they got these good defensive players. But I, do you think Grady Dick can ever be even just like a passable defensive player in the NBA? Yeah, I think so. Because, yeah. yeah, so far. So far, it's tough. Yeah. So far, but he's a just, rookie. He's like yeah. a 19-year-old rookie. Like, yeah. and, and he's like super skinny when you watch him, too. I know. So it's like. You know, guys are going to push him around a little bit. I, I think his instincts have been good. Um, you know, not to fall into the 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 the, the, the white guy has bas- good basketball on you kind of thing, but like he really does like get in the right positions. You know, he, he deflects a number of passes. He comes up with a steal here or there. Knows when to crash for the glass. So there's a good sense for the game. But I mm-hmm. think yeah, his body's got to catch up to the actual NBA body. Like, yeah, he, that, that, that's kind of required. He really does check a lot of the like white guy basketball player boxes. Hey, it's like oh yeah, he's the IQ guy who can't play defense and who shoots threes. <laughs> it's like oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, uh, he's I gotta just, wear a headband. I mean, it was funny because him and Corey Kisper checked in the game last yeah. night at the same time, and I'm <laughs> yeah. like, oh man, we don't see this uh, anymore. Yeah, <laughs> it's like seeing a Volkswagen Beetle. I was like, all right. <laughs> Yeah, really, it was really good. I, I just, man, every time he's in, I feel bad for him because at least the three was dropping yesterday. So he feels like, okay, you're mm-hmm. contributing, right? You're contributing. You're knocking down the shot. And I do like that he doesn't seem to have shied away from it at all, right? When he gets the opportunity, when he gets the window, he's pulling the trigger and I'm going, this is the most positive sign for you. Because if, if you start to see the guy hesitate, that's when it's over, right? And I don't mean over for the career, of course, but I just mean that's when you know there's a problem mm-hmm. is, oh, the shooter doesn't want to do the thing that he's supposed to be great at. It's just every single time he checks in, the defense is like, oh, see that huge, tall, skinny white guy? Just he is the uh, he's a walking target. He's, you can't mm-hmm. hide him. There's nothing you can do. And he is just, yeah, it's it's hard. It's It's hard watching him. You're right. I think that there's some instincts in terms of, the way that he tries to, yeah, get a little creative with the stops, whether that's with the hands or whether, like, jumping passes. But when he gets ISO, when someone ISOs on him, it is just, this is over. This is going to end. The best case scenario is someone misses a layup, essentially. 
Well, that's a concern. Um, if the Raptors get to a point like many months from now where they're in yeah. a playoff position or they're even in a playing game, or let's say in the more recent uh, future, if uh, you know they end up going to you know the in-season tournament, or whatever. Basically, any games where teams are like playing all out to win, they're going to have part of their game plan is to go at him. Mm-hmm. And right now, you don't see the isolations as much. Um, but eventually you'll reach that point. And so that, yeah, obviously that's something that he's got to improve going long term. I yeah. think my worry with him is just like he's not as consistent from three. Like again, going back to the warm-ups thing. Yeah. As I kind of expected. Ooh, so, the warm-ups, he's not knocking him down. That's bad. Yeah. Yeah. But that... again, he's a rookie. So yeah. like I'm I'm not uh you know, I'm I'm almost kind of taking everything with a huge grain of salt for for these kids. He yeah. really is a child to me. You know, he is. There's no question. listen, he's the the TikToks were the eye opener for that. <laughs> so, okay. Like the, yeah. It's a new generation, man. Yeah. The good. TikToks, I went, oh no. <laughs> this is not, this isn't good. Uh, I just want to feel like if that's your trait, right? You're, and, mm-hmm. and, and it, it's a little worse too with this team where we've gone over it, but they don't have any shooting. So when they bring him in, there's almost this yes. added pressure of, yo, you have to knock these down. We need uh-huh. you to do this. And he's going, I'm 19 and I have the Bieber cut. And you're like, doesn't matter. Hit them. Hit them now. So every one of them he misses, it feels uh-huh. so much worse because he doesn't have really any of the other stuff yet, right? And you can see he gets these, like, little opportunities every once in a while in the game to try to show the stuff off the dribble and, like, the, the mid-range area because he likes the elbow. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he's just he's just not there yet where he can get it down consistently and he doesn't have the room on this team to be able to take, you know, four or five of those a game. He gets his one. And so he misses it and you go, okay, that's it. Bench time, right? It's, he's in a bit of a tough spot to start. Uh, I, I hope he ends up getting more opportunity. Yeah, he's 19. It's probably like a next year issue more than it is a this year one. But he uh-huh. is still a lottery pick that you want to see some offense from. So I don't blame people for feeling a little disappointed in it. Anyways, uh, hey, man, you've been great. I appreciate the time today. Appreciate you, man. Yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Uh, there you go. Willu um, of the Raptor Show, which you can listen to later today with Alex Wong and Blake Murphy who did absorb many of my texts yesterday, frustration texts. <laughs> I, mean, I thought I, I really did think it was one of those things where, hey, where did, why didn't I get the report on Scotty Barnes being ill before this contest? And then it turned out to just be the first home game back from a road trip flu, which shows up a lot. And then you know what, though? Wizards, congrats. You are truly terrible. You are a truly terrible basketball team. It's okay. electric to watch that. Yeah. You got Jordan Poole and Kuzma just out there doing things yeah i can't think of it's a pair electric. of players i would want less oh my god it like, is a wild it, like watch. go through and go through every single team other than unless you're counting like russ and harden right right, right? right. but that's different I, I and i would rather have russ and harden for sure <laughs> i wouldn't mind having a season where i got to just try to like russ sure you know like where just you you appreciate the hustle yeah you see him get checked out for harden the other day oh yeah yeah the Clippers, man. Again, I made a joke with Seared about how they can't win the in-season tournament, and now I'm going, they need to win this in-season tournament game tonight. Let's just root for chaos. I mean, it would be so... Come on. Their coach is calling them out. Oh. They look bad. Harden looks horrific. Horrible. I love, too, how part of the narrative when he went there was, hey, James, is he's got FU attitude. He's yeah. ready to show the world, and then it's just <laughs> wiping his shoe air balls. <laughs> Anyway, quick break. Let's come back. Uh, a couple of UFC fighters in studio, Charles Jardin and Mike Malott. All right. <clears throat> We're back. Charles Jardin, Mike Malott. Man, you know, I realize it's hard to say Charles. Like, 
if you're an English guy. It's like a hard one to get. How was that? Hey, that some people say Charles. Some people say Charles. Yeah, but with a Z. No, I, I'm not going to Michael Bisbing you. Where it's like Charles. <laughs> Charles. <laughs> it's like no, you're not a full Charles. Even the Jordan, because you guys are used to Jordan. Yeah. So Jordan. But that worked yeah. out for you with the nickname. Yeah, absolutely. That worked out for you with the nickname because the yeah. nickname is smooth. Yeah. What's yours, Mike? Proper Mike. Proper. No, that's actually pretty good too. Damn. <laughs> All right, the voice guys came correct. You get you. Who comes up with that? Uh, Uriah Faber gave me proper mic. Oh, okay. Well, then, yeah. Like, you, right, you cool. got When yeah. Uriah Faber gives you a nickname, you got to go yeah, with that. Yeah, I was going to say, that's sure. pretty good. That's yeah. your, you, got, you remember yours? Uh, yeah, it was a random guy in the, the, the venue. I fought in Quebec for the first yeah. time, and I went with a flying knee, knocked the guy unconscious. The guy wasn't moving, left on the stretcher, and they said, hey, Jordan. And I was like, yeah, yeah let's that's stick good. with it. Those are two good stories. <clears throat> I have yeah. a cool nickname story like that. Mine's just my last bunk. It's like, great. <laughs> Sweet. Like, how'd you come up with it? Default like, nickname. Yeah, yeah. Like, way to go, bunk. That's it. And then also my younger brother, his friends call him that. I'm like, man, sucks. It's yeah. like everybody just cops it. This is my own thing. So uh, you guys are here. Again, featherweight, fighting Sean Woodson, Mike, yeah. welterweight. Three fight win streak. Five straight wins for the two you combined. Very nice stuff, gentlemen. Very nice, nice stuff. Keeps and then, uh, yeah, you're fighting Neil Magny, the legend. Uh, by the way, tickets for this event go on sale this Friday, the 17th. Mm -hmm. But there's also a pre-sale with UFC Fight Club. Mm -hmm. So if you're a member of that, you can buy tickets, I think, tomorrow. And if you're a newsletter member, you can buy tickets on Thursday. So if you're interested in going to the UFC here in Toronto and watching these two guys fight, grab your tickets, go to UFC.com, check out more of that. Okay, so... Ticketmaster. You Sorry, got, I had to pull it. You guys Ticketmaster? Yeah. I mean, well, the, <laughs> hey, guess what? This is Canada. There's only one place where you can get tickets. <laughs> so if you, you Google it, you, you're going to have a tough time mm. finding a secondary mm. spot. Uh, otherwise, it's going to be StubHub for you. Um, okay, so, you know, you guys come in here. You seem pretty friendly with one another. You're kind of cruising around. And you see this with the guys in other countries, right? The relationships amongst countrymen. Mm. What's it like for you guys? Because, yeah, you two are at the very top right now. Well, we had a very, like, pretty classic way of meeting each other and becoming friends. Mm -hmm. uh, I was cornering someone against him, hoping my friend would beat uh, Jordan. <laughs> nice. And, uh, you know, so pretty classic. Just was, it the flying, was it the flying it new guy? It was not the flying <laughs> new guy. No, no. But, he finishes, uh, dude. So I think you got more finishes <laughs> than any other Canadian right now, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I, think I got right. two decisions. I don't like it. Like yeah. my whole career, I've been finishing guys and now yeah. I have two decision win and uh, it's, it's not, not fun yeah, okay. to know that the job has not been properly uh, done. You'll get another chance. Absolutely. Get another. So you guys meet after the fight? Not really. We honestly really met when Vancouver, eh? So this yeah. year, when, when I fought, that was when we we actually met, but I was you okay. know, a fan of his. I had studied him, obviously, for that fight, and then I was a few feet away from him while he was fighting a buddy of mine, and they mm -hmm. went to war, beat each other up pretty well, and okay. <laughs> he's got a sick style. I was like, this guy's awesome, man. So <laughs> became buddies after that. Yes. Yeah. Do, do you feel like a kinship, though, amongst Canadian fighters? Do you think that's something that's growing? Because... Again, you really do see it with other countries where guys get behind each other, like the, the card that they just had in England, mm -hmm. the English fighters just feeling really connected with one another. Yeah, but to be completely frank, like uh, let's say take France, for example, there's a lot mm -hmm. of inner beef that we don't know. And like when the, the lights sure. are on, like, of course, we put that aside. Me, from my part, I'm from uh, Quebec, which would mm -hmm. be more secluded part of, of Canada. Like I, people, like I, I'm now I'm starting to speak English uh, better, but... Uh, yeah, like the relationship is formed through wars, like mm -hmm. uh, just like with Marc-André Barrio who's also on the card. Like uh, we've been fighting on the same cards for, for years yeah. prior to UFC. Now we got to UFC from the same promotion. So, yeah, we, we form we form bonds through fighting. And uh, I don't think uh, like we see, of course, online, there's a lot of relationship that seems cool. Mm -hmm. But sometimes there's beef like with Mike. There's no beef. And like we respect each other. Uh, there's like 
I'm in the UFC as a featherweight. There's yep. two other Canadians who are featherweight. I won't mind. I will shake their hands. But one day I might have to fight one of these guys. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to play friendly, friendly. Like if you're a potential enemy, it's cool. We're going to treat it with respect, but uh, I'm not your friend. Ooh, see, that's the way Dana likes it though, right? Because <clears throat> he hates it when you guys turn down fights because you don't want to fight friends. Mm -hmm. so, I only no have way. a couple friends in my weight class and I had to fight one of them in our yeah. second fight. The other mm -hmm. Canadian, right? Johan, mm -hmm. buddy of mine, he's from Quebec. I had to fight him yeah. in my second fight. And so I actually found out about the fight from Johan because he messaged me. He's like, hey man, just want to let you know the UFC's just put us together and I thought I was fighting somebody else. I guess the guy pulled out. And, uh -huh. I was like, all right, yeah, cool. Let's fight each other. Let's right. duke it out, have a beer after. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> did it end with that or are you still you good? Yeah, he's coming to train with me for uh, this this camp because so, okay. he's on the card as well. So, all right, you guys are here. You're promoting these fights. I imagine that you're, you're a Burlington guy, right? Yeah, I grew up in uh, Waterdown. My parents live in Burlington okay. now. So, I just moved out. So it's up to you to show Charles around. <laughs> like, I'm, yeah. I'm leaving in a couple hours. Yeah, you're so, leaving in a couple hours? Yes, you just got fly in and like, get yeah, out. Fly That's in, it? do media, and then go back to my life of sleeping, training, and then punching people. I guess it is like it's, it's fairly soon. Yeah. Yeah. It's fairly soon. It's mm -hmm. soon enough. I thought maybe 67 days. I was going to say, you get it. Ooh, oh, shit. He knows that. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, dedication. Like, no, yeah. honestly, that actually felt like he was fighting you the way he said it. He was like, 67 <laughs> days. I was like, whoa, bro. <laughs> I'm too small, man. You would destroy me. <laughs> yeah, I hate when people say, yeah, but you're a UFC fighter. Would you fight anybody? I'm like, yeah, my weight class. Yeah. You see the frame on this guy? Look at his hands. There's no yeah. way. Like, nah, what, what, one, I won, two, so two, two weight class difference. There's no way. Yeah, yeah. you got in early on that handshake, bro. We're going to see yeah. you again after this show. No, we're not. We this got, guy, this guy got not. in early and grabbed all I fingers. Like, <laughs> I was like, see that lady back there? PR lady? You're taking care of me, right? That's your job here. It's, they're not allowed to shake my hand too hard. I got these are these are delicate, you know? Like I got fat fingers, but they're not actually very strong. Okay, so you guys are coming back to Canada and you're fighting here. I yep. wonder, like, Charles, let's start with you. Does is there added like what is the feeling of the pressure knowing a win in Canada does put you into a different conversation? in terms of being a face to the company in this country? A uh, win is a win. It doesn't yeah. mind if it's in Abu Dhabi or Canada. For me, uh, I was very excited to, to be in UFC, but, uh, in UFC Canada. Mm -hmm. But like, like I told to my manager, you can put me anywhere. I don't mind. Like we were talking about the fact that I really like the Apex. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like more really? secluded, no fan, just more violence. I hate that as a viewer. Oh. Uh, I love it as I a fighter. I want to see fans, though. Like, yeah, I'm sure, <laughs> no, but it doesn't I, feel like I, I a training too. session. Like, yeah. uh, last time I fought on a pay-per-view, uh, I, I opened, uh, opened up the main card. It was mm -hmm. tremendous, like, greatest memory of my life. But as a fighter, the dramatic element mm -hmm. of, of this and that, I'm not in that. I want to fight this guy, make my money, and, and leave. So, yeah, the, the build-up is fun, but uh, the fighting is even more fun. Mm -hmm. How about for you, Mike? I liked both, so I've fought in the Apex twice, and then I've done stadiums at the UFC arenas twice. I prefer the arena. I like the crowd. I like the added pressure. Mm -hmm. I like the added tension. You can feel the extra tension when you get in there. But I agree with Charles, and there's there's something cool about just being told, like, hey, you bring your guys, I'll bring my guys. We'll meet yeah. in some random arena in Vegas in front of, like, 40 people, and we'll work this out, and we'll see who's better. I like that. And it's uh -huh. like the the punches sound different. It, like, echoes in there because there's not that many people. It's it's a, It does feel a little bit colder and more violent, whereas when it's in a, an arena or a stadium, it feels a little bit more like a spectator sport. Warm, Here, yeah. Here's the thing, though, about this one. You guys are really going to have crowds behind you in a way that you've probably never had in your careers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right, like an entire stadium of people you're gonna come out. You have the flag behind you. You automatically become everybody's favorite fighter in the arena. 
And like, listen, this is a bit of a different circumstances, but man, I remember being in a bar watching GSP fight Sarah too and seeing that Bell Center crowd just going absolutely nuts, (laughs) right? And the way that they were chanting for him and just the adrenaline pump that you must get from a situation like that, I'm guessing that it won't dawn on either of you until it's that, until you're like, holy crap, everybody's chanting my name in an arena. This, this, like, that's the potential for the two of you guys here. That's going to feel like, okay, now this is, this is very, very different from, yeah, the violence of the UFC Apex Center. It's a dangerous thing because it's, uh, if you let the noise be, uh, like, get inside of you too much, mm-hmm. you're going to get carried away. And we're in a sport that one mistake can cost you mm-hmm. uh, uh, an injury that you can have forever, broken tooth, broken nose, whatever. Like, you can, you can have uh, a very bad night if you let the crowd warm you up too much mm-hmm. and, like, starting to go crazy and open up. We're in a very violent sport, a very dangerous sport, so that's... Uh, that's our job to keep uh, all of that heat under control and make sure we stay to uh, stick up to the game plan and uh, perform to the best of our ability. Yeah, this that's a tough one for you though. Is like it's the coolest moment of your careers, uh-huh. and then it's just like you got to focus because someone might kick your ass. It could be like I always say, it could be the best night of your life or the yeah. worst night of your life. Yeah, it, just just a matter of a split second, you not being sharp. And boom, it's over. It's mm-hmm. a very dangerous sport, and uh, that's why we do it, because we love it. Yeah. So, Sportsnet now is partnering with the UFC. They're going to be the rights holder. It's part of the reason why you guys are here instead of at the other place. I'm curious from both of you, Mike, and start with you. This is a bit of a tougher one, but you guys are both obviously fans of the sport too, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you grew up, I'm guessing, watching this, that this didn't just fall into it. You're like, oh, yeah, I guess I, I can do this. Where do you think we can get better when it comes to coverage of the UFC? Yeah, either of you have thought on this? Uh, I thought, yeah, I I thought mean, it was Mike first. Let's yeah, go, Mike. Okay. I mean, Rogers was one of the the first companies covering MMA in Canada with uh, the Score Fighting series, mm-hmm. right? That was you get that was that was that was Rogers, right? Honestly, I'm I don't sure. remember. I'm pretty sure it wasn't. That was uh, no, kind of, kind of. Well, look at the PR. We're like, yeah, yeah, yeah just say yes. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the safer way but, is to be uh, like, yeah, yeah we know. did it. Yeah, it was all us. How can we get better? I don't know. Um, I don't know, man. Yeah. That's a good question. You got uh, that? Yeah, but like me coming back, coming from Quebec, like uh, all the media are less prone to talk about us up and coming guys. Why? Because we had George who set up the bar yeah. so high. So they're like, oh, this kid's not George. So we're not talking about him enough. So me, I don't mind that the, I'm in the era of social media. And if you mm-hmm. have proper social media, you can make very good publicity uh, for, for it. But yeah, of course, like... Uh, because George set the bar so high, it's hard for us to get the coverage that George used to have. And even George only had coverage in Quebec once he became UFC champion. Other way around, they didn't brought him to shows. They didn't brought him anywhere. Mm. So George had to become a world champion to get recognition from uh, the Quebec media. Now it's maybe it's about to change. They signed a new deal with TVA Sport, which is a, 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 a mm-hmm. new, uh, but not a new, an old, uh, very uh, reputable uh, TV uh, station mm-hmm. so i'm meeting them uh, wednesday and i think uh, there's a new wave of media who are going to talk more and more about us even though we're not gsp dude i think that's actually a really good answer though just uh-huh. tonight it's like it's always through the framework of got one of the best fighters in ufc history yeah like the greatest welterweight in ufc history so it's like yeah. every time you know you as a french fighter you as a welterweight yeah step in the octagon the first question is is he george <laughs> you know like yeah. it's, it's like thing? that's a yeah. cool thing but it's a tough shadow to be in it's there's a bit of a shadow, but I think of it more as like a path laid. Yeah. You know, there's there's a lot of potential already. Like Canadian MMA fans are hungry for UFC talent, Canadian yeah. UFC talent, right? So it's it's an enormous 
market and pool that we have. If I were just some dude from like Washington, you know, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have the backing of the United States the way that I do being from Burlington, of course. The, the way that Canadian fans get behind us, right? Like Canadians really do get behind Canadians when we fight, right? Mm-hmm. So you see guys with, uh, you know, we have this this potential to to have an enormous push from this country. I think that's kind of like the 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 effects or the wake of George St. Pierre's career. And so like while there is a bit of like a shadow where you're always kind of compared to him, you're also kind of elevated because of no what question. he did. No question. Because again, like I'm not a UFC fan to this degree, if not for George St. Pierre. Right. Like if not for me being in that bar, watching that and watching him knee Matt Sarah in the ribs and going, mm-hmm. oh my God, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. As everybody's chanting the Olay, mm-hmm. like I'm not sitting here with you guys right now like right. with the same love of the sport, yeah. right? And I'm guessing that that moment, same thing for you guys, right? That you were probably somewhere when you saw that or some oh, GSP yeah. fight yeah. inspired you to be here. Like I was listening to a, a podcast actually recently about where great athletes come from. And they were talking about like all the different ingredients when you see a lot of people from the same place. And one of them is you need to be inspired. And George St. Pierre for so many Canadian fans and fighters here was just like such a big inspiration. But yeah, I, I hear what you're saying too about the shoes, just in terms of the coverage is like, eventually you have to carve out your own identity. Mm-hmm. And especially for a fighter where so much of it is just like, it's, it's you, you're the individual. You can have your team with you, whatever. No one at the end of the day really cares, right? Yeah. Like yeah. it's ultimately coming down to you and who you are. Yeah. And so selling that outside of George, like using that wave to get to a certain point, but then breaking away from that, like, yeah, it's a tough one. So I, I don't know. I wish you guys both the best of luck actually starting that when we have the UFC here again, mm-hmm. Toronto. Excited. Tickets, again, go on sale this Friday on Ticketmaster. Thank you very All right? much. All right? So Ticketmaster. <laughs> <laughs> Show today. Michael Watt, thanks for joining me, guys. I appreciate it. All right, quick break. Let's come back, and we'll hit on why this city just won't let a fourth team rise up. All right, it was cool having Charles and Mike in here. I'm excited for that card. I'm definitely going to try and go. Problem is... is I'm pretty sure it's up against the Leafs talk for me, so we'll have to see how I navigate that. If I can do it and get that down there, or if I can just get it off and go. But either way, I haven't. I have not been to a UFC live. It's the only one on my sports fandom card that, out of all the sports I love, I've never been. It's, yeah, my brother. My brother's been. He really liked it. I think that it depends. There, there's definitely some parts of it of depending where you sit. But, yeah, I think that the atmosphere is, like, a pretty unique, cool one. Like, not to compare it to uh, WWE in the sense of, like, it's the same thing. But have you ever been to a WWE event? No, would love to. Hold on one sec. I don't think Simon's mic's working. So, yeah, I'm not hearing Simon in the mic. So, now I think so. But before, I do not. (laughs) But, yeah, there we go. Yeah, see, that's him on. Uh, So... But that, that crowd is, like, very unique and very cool, and it gets very loud, and it makes for a really, really fun atmosphere, even for someone who's not, like, a diehard of the You sport. have gone to WWE. Yeah, because yeah. It's, it's just chock full of it's a million be, diehards, yeah. right? That's sure. who goes to these things, and so you feel like you're a part of it. And I, you, you see that with the UFC on television, and it's part yeah, of the yeah. reason why I really want to go to this one. Um, okay, so anyway, um, the Bills lose last night. The Bills lose to the Denver Broncos, who are... More competent than we thought yeah. at the very beginning of the season, right? They're, they're not the awful team that we watched Miami run 70 points up on. 
we thought, hey, this is horrific. They start selling players. We think maybe the Sean Payton trade is the worst of all time, that Russell Wilson is completely washed, that they've got nothing to, to, to play for, that they're going to be one of the teams that's there trying to be in the Caleb Williams. They're not that. They're all right. They're fine. Russ is cooking Russ, a bit. Russ, Russ, I thought, played well last night. I don't think he was spectacular by any stretch of the imagination. The Bills gave them a, me, a million chances, and I think a better offense puts them away. Oh, yeah. But either way, but either way, the Bills, the Bills are ass. Like, it's just, it's not, <laughs> that, like, I, I don't know what I want, you want me to tell you, Bills fans. Like, it, we're at the point, here's, here's the biggest thing. This happened with William Nylander, and it was more of a last year thing than it was a this year thing, because this year he's just, like, completely bulletproof. Sometimes the criticism gets so overwhelming of one player that when they perform well and they perform well for a while, it's hard to go back and find ways to criticize the player properly because people are just used to one way or the other where it's just overwhelming criticism or overwhelming praise. And that's where we're at with Josh Allen is everyone's starting to dip their toe back in the water of, hey, you know, Josh Allen actually hasn't won anything Josh Allen actually might not be, uh, and I, I was guilty of this too. Hand up. I had Greg Jennings on last year, and it was after that Chiefs-Bills regular, regular season game where Josh Allen hurtled over a defender and was just this physical force of nature, both in the run game and in the pass game. And the, there was a legitimate conversation about who is better right now, Mahomes or Allen? Who is the greater talent? And I went, maybe it is Josh Allen. Maybe it's Josh Allen. Most games with, with three or more turnovers since 2018, including the playoffs, Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen tied for first. The two guys right below them, Sam Darnold and Jameis Winston, who, again, do not play football games, so they'd probably have a lot more than those guys. Baker missed some time as well. Allen's the only one in that group. It's, it's a little bit of a... It's, it's a tiny bit misleading, but, you know, also not really. <laughs> this guy turns the ball over way too much. It's just, it, this is now a real issue. And people could say, oh, but JD, one of the turnovers, it should have been Gabe Davis. He catches it and that's not his fault. That's the problem. Everyone keeps making excuses for Josh Allen. It's always, oh, it's Sean McDermott's fault for making the bad blitz yesterday. Oh, they shouldn't have blitzed on third and 10 and allowed Russell Wilson just to chuck the ball up in the air and have the, the DPI that and no one knows how to fix in the NFL. The one where it's just an underthrown ball where the receiver gets to go back to the football. It doesn't feel right. And yet it, it has to be the call yeah. because how else would you ever have it? Yeah. Like you, you can't leave this at the discretion of the official. Oh, it's the bill's fault for the 12 men on the field. Oh, it's James cook. By the way, that fumble was completely on Josh Allen. The one where it like, that's all Josh Allen. So that's two turnovers in that game that are directly on him. Fine. Remove the Gabe Davis one. Like, yes. Should the bills have added another playmaker? Absolutely. I feel like this has been a story for the last two years is yeah, they have digs. He's great. They went out this offseason. They said, all we need is a rookie tight end who played well. Fine. He's a fine player. He's a decent pass catcher. Ball went off his hands last night too. But tight ends, historically, it takes a while for these guys to assimilate to the NFL. It takes a little while before these guys get up to speed. So yeah, is there some blame on the Bills for not getting another playmaker? James Cook looked pretty good last night. He was a kind of a stud actually for them. But overall, could they have added another running back that's a little bit better? Yeah, could there be more pieces? For sure. Look what Pat Mahomes is dealing with right now. Pat Mahomes is Sky Moore. And I had a conversation with my buddy the other day about Rishi Rice. Yeah. How they need him to be a somebody. A guy. But who he actually is is someone where you're like, 
yeah, he looks all right on some plays, and mostly he's pretty forgettable. He's a wide receiver one who can easily go through a game with one for 27, <laughs> right? Like, th- that's kind of who, who he is. So to have digs, Mahomes would kill for digs, especially now that Travis Kelsey is no longer the same guy. I think that's pretty clear. As Travis Kelsey is good, not great. He's, he's really good. He's not the greatest version of himself anymore. Maybe he pulls a Gronk and he turns it up come playoff time. I'm not willing to write that possibility off. But what we've seen so far from Travis Kelsey is like a guy who's taken a pretty significant step back from where he was at a year ago. I, I just, the, the, the Allen excuse making has gotten to an all-time high. It's everybody else's fault. It's not enough playmakers. It's Sean McDermott's fault. It's, it's the injuries that the Bills have sustained. Like, go on down the line. Oh, it's, the, it's, the, it's this bad decision. It's that. Josh Allen is turning the ball over too much, and he has not been the franchise quarterback. He has not been the MVP. And some people say that he has. It's like, no, man, take care of the football. Those other issues are totally valid with the Bills. They got a 33% chance of making the postseason right now. The roster's not good enough. The playmakers aren't good enough. The coach isn't good enough. The GM hasn't done a good enough job. But the quarterback isn't playing great either. And and I just... I. Maybe this is a bit of a straw man, people saying like he's absolved of the problems, but it, it doesn't feel like he's taking the same kind of heat or that maybe this is going to start now where he starts mm-hmm. taking this level of heat. Maybe now it's going to be, hey, there's more Josh Allen criticism. But ultimately, this is a team that feels like the window is shut. They got a 33% chance of making the playoffs. They're not doing anything this year. Like, let's be real. The Bills are not doing anything this year. You got no hope. And I don't care. You know, it's usually I hate when uh, sports talk show hosts and whatever podcasters, radio hosts, any of that want to talk in absolutes because I usually think it's just, you know, performative. But no, this is for real. You guys have no shot. You are not winning. The AFC is deep. There's five or six teams that are interesting in the AFC and you are not one of them. (laughs) You aren't. And you got to wonder if that Chiefs game just broke them. That Chiefs overtime just shattered the Bills. Because it, it feels like they never recovered from that. It feels like they thought that they were the Chiefs. They wanted the rules changed for them, for God's sakes. They went, this is unfair. We, we should have won. Well, you could have won. You could have gotten a stop. You could have. You didn't. You lost. So fine. You got close. That's, not, that's nice. But then from that on, it's just Super Bowl or bust, Super Bowl or bust, Super Bowl or bust. They come into this season. They got the banners hanging of the Super Bowl, like the Lombardi Trophy in the visors. And it's like, all right. You put a lot of pressure on this team that the window is right now. The window, it has to be, it has to be, it has to be, it has to be. And it just feels like something about them is every single game now they're playing for their Super Bowl window. And I feel like the pressure of that has gotten to them. Also, it should be noted that Trayvon Diggs, brother of Stefan, hmm. tweeted last night, got to get 14. my brother, got to get yeah. 14 out of there. And there's already been smoke about Stefan and the way that he showed up to training camp the last couple of years and that relationship with him and the Bills and how hard it is to keep guys in that location too. Like it is Buffalo. You are going to, you know, Dave and Buster's for the, for the nightlife there. <laughs> I would say I'm not 100% sure Stephon Diggs is going to be there next year. I would say 50-50, especially if they miss the playoffs. Anyway, I just... It's just a lot. And I feel bad for Bills fans because, again, you're especially the, the area Bills fans where it's like Leafs promised championships or competitiveness. Nope. Blue Jays promised championships and competitiveness. Nope. And now Bills promised championships and competitiveness. And it's very, very clear. 
uh, out of those three teams, they got the lowest shot. Anyway, Sid Sixero, a uh, fan of the Buffalo Bills, fan of a lot of teams I'm going to talk about today and <laughs> not glowing uh, terms. Uh, VT, what's up, brother? How are we doing? If Kenny Pickett makes the playoffs this year. Yeah. Minus 26 and, point differential for the Steelers. And Josh Allen doesn't. Yeah. I'm going to lose my mind. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think. Like, I'm going to lose. Gonna like, I know, I know, like, I heard the take about absolutes. I hear you. Mm-hmm. This this window has absolutely already closed. I don't mm-hmm. know what people are watching. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, like, 10 games this year, Allen has three 300-yard games. Mm-hmm. It looks lazy. And it's like you haven't brought in the offensive talent. Mm-hmm. I don't know where you go with this. Like, there's nothing wrong with being a really good quarterback in the NFL. There's nothing wrong with it. You make a lot of money, do a lot of things. You get a lot of celebrities. It's cool. It's fine. Not everyone's going to be an MVP. Not everyone's going to win the Super Bowl. It's fine. Josh Allen will not be a failure in his career. He's got a ton of talent. But just it's just weird stuff three times a game, four times a game. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where they go with this. Because they have brought in the talent. They brought in help. But it's just from like the, almost the first offensive snap last night to that debauchery at the end. They just can't smooth it out. And I don't know who's to blame for that. Because I like McDermott a lot. Mm-hmm. I just don't know. I just don't know where you go if they if they miss the playoffs. What do you do if you're the Bills? Yeah, it's tough. It's tough because you're looking at a lot. You're looking at a lot of work. Uh, again, I mentioned Diggs might want out, and then you've got a rookie tight end and a running back that you think is all right. You're probably trying to readjust the entire defense. Like you're you're making so many moves on D. Um, because you're, you're too old and you're too injury prone. I, I thought last night, you know, what would be kind of interesting to me is if they fired McDermott at the end of the year and they did one of the coaching trades to bring Dayball back because the giants went, you know what we want it. But then the giants are probably going to draft the young quarterback and they're going to want Dayball around him. But I, I thought, Hey, you know what? That's when we had Josh Allen at his best. Maybe bring back the good vibes guy. Maybe you just, you know, back the wrong horse in terms of the coaches and having the Dorsey, uh, McDermott uh, double double dip over just having keeping Dayball was was maybe just like one of the bigger mistakes that this organization made. Are you suggesting Dayball can be their Demarlo Hale? Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, yeah got to bring back Demarlo. <laughs> That's great. It's like what that is changes a, everything? What is changes a assistant? Everything. I thought of Dwight True. It's like a di- assistant to the regional manager. I was like, okay, yeah, yeah Dwight yeah. Dwight True sitting Gibby. in the office. So like, everything watching. changes. Yeah, he's got he the, new Gibby though. Yeah, like it's different now. <laughs> it's just so different. Yeah. Did you see the Jeff Passon thing that just dropped? By the no, way, I'm I sure didn't. What did. is it? He, he's. I'm paraphrasing, mm-hmm. but he's suggesting the Jays want to quote make a major shift this offseason, as they should. Now, is he talking about the seats in the hundreds? Yeah, because like, they're moving. Those are actually shifting. They've, I think they've already been shifted. Actually, okay, even better. Uh-huh. But like, I but I guess my question to you is. When it comes to, sorry, are we done with the bills? I don't don't think there's anything. I I, like, here's the thing too. I feel bad. Like, because I, I genuinely, there's only a few fan bases that I like really root for in sports. I kind of find it cringy when people are like, I love this team as I'm saying, I I don't root for the bills at all. I don't have a real investment in the, in the Buffalo bills. I like the Seahawks and like, that's really it. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I hate seeing a fan base that just gets dunked on over and over and over again. And a fan base, I just relate to the feeling of hope and having that opportunity to win. And I feel like there's a lot of parallels with, yes, the Leafs and the, the Blue Jays right now and the, the promise of winning. 
So I, I feel bad for them. So I don't, I don't even want to keep going. But yeah, sorry. Back to the Jays. I didn't see the passing thing. Was it on his Twitter? It ju- like in the last five minutes. Oh, okay. Like I just saw in the last five minutes. Mm-hmm. But it, it would. It's it's again. It is. It is fodder. Like it's not exactly the Jays are keeping an eye on tweet mm-hmm. that we've grown to to know and love in the off season. It's not that. It seemed a bit more forceful. Mm. But I, I am taking a serious wait and see approach with this organization. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm stunned. I'm stunned how little has changed. Stunned. Mm-hmm. And after what we saw and, and the vibe that was put out, both on the field and in the press conference room. So the notion that the Jays are going to shake things up, come on, man. Like the Leafs and the Jays have sucked out of me the notion of shake it up. Mm. I just don't buy it. I don't think there are people in those organizations. Like the, the, they're, they're too deep in the mud. Like they can't, they, they either now have to go down with the ship because if you shift course now, everything you've preached is completely worthless and your reputation's nothing, mm. which Shanahan's already in. He can't change now or he looks like a fool. Mm-hmm. So I just don't buy any of, whenever I read, I just saw that five minutes ago. Yeah, I see. And I said to myself, like, I'm like, I wasn't moved. I wasn't. And maybe they sign Otani and maybe I look like an idiot. Mm-hmm. Great. I'll gladly look like an idiot. Gladly. But I don't buy that this team has the stones to do what's necessary or the prospect capital to do what's necessary. I just think there's, there are too many issues here and too many mistakes have been made. It's no different than the Leafs. You make enough mistakes, it's going to come back and bite you in the ass. Mm-hmm. And the Jays are about there. Yeah. They're about there. So I just, I don't know. I saw that before I jumped on with you and I'm like, I like Jeff a lot. Jeff, I'm not doubting Jeff's sources. No, you shouldn't. It, this is uh, the this is the this is the the quote. Is a new report from ESPN's Jeff Passan has indicated that the Blue Jays are looking to do quote something big end quote. According to a source familiar with the Blue Jays' plans, in particular, Passan noted that with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bobuchet free agency looming in 2025, the club hoped to make a splash, insinuating that Shohei Otani could be a significant piece they hoped to lure north. I did have. Some DM birdies saying that Shohei was in town recently, uh, that he was wine and dined by the Blue Jays. Do I think Shohei Otani is going to come here? No, I do not. Um, I didn't think Kawhi was going to come here, so maybe there's a little bit of being pre- like. Well, actually, there's not a little bit of precedent of me, me being wrong. There's a lot, but I don't think I don't think Shohei's coming here. What I would say is, I think with the the, the two teams right now the Raptors and the Blue Jays in terms of being, you know, uh, parallel with one another in terms of what they can't change. I think the Leafs are, are way more there. You're right. Shanahan, I don't think can shift off the core four, nor do I think they're going to, I think that they're going to try to bring Nylander back. It probably cost them money. <laughs> Shockingly not negotiating with him this past off season. I don't think that they'll trade Marner next, next year, unless there's something that's just an absolute no brainer. They got to do it kind of trade, but the Blue Jays, uh, you know, and this has actually been something Ennis was on before anybody, He's been pointing at the Vladdy question going, now's the time, now's the time, now's the time for over a year. You got to gotta trade Vladdy. You're not extending Vladdy. You got to trade Vladdy. You got to trade Vladdy. And I feel like that is more than likely going to be the splash. Either Boba Shett says that he doesn't want to be here long term and they decide to completely cash in on him and go big, big, big. Or they say, no, 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 we really want to be competitive. We're keeping Boba Shett. We're going to move Vladimir Guerrero Jr. The one that I keep circling is the Juan Soto trade is how, how do you get in on that? 
Because if you can bring in Juan Soto, move out Vladimir Guerrero Jr., have some kind of swap between the two teams, San Diego gets to save some money, Toronto spends a ton on Soto, like that, that interests me. But what I think is the Blue Jays are assessing and properly that they can't run this thing back next year. If you're bringing back the front office and you're bringing back, you know, the, the hitting coach, for God's sake, they, like they manager, hitting coach, everyone, the exact same, bringing back DeMarlo Hale, going, hey, memories from the past. Everything is the same except the, she, the, the seats are shifting. There has to be some kind of incentive for fans to want to buy into this team, to feel like they're not going to show up to the ballpark and, and receive the same trauma that was last year, right? There's got to be some something that's new and exciting outside of the renovations. And so I actually, I really buy that report that that feels like they, they actually understand the the pulse of this fan base right now, which is uh, all time low for me. Like I, I really cannot remember fans being more frustrated with this organization than now. And that includes when they've had big time losing seasons. Well, and that also speaks to maybe uh, let's just say the flex packs aren't flying off the shelves after that show at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Like, let's get down to what's really going on, right? Like, you you heard the same stuff I was hearing, and I've never seen in unison like that in this city. Mm-hmm. In unison. This team can go kick rocks after yeah. And on top of that, they're squeezing some season ticket holders in those re- renovations. Some of the stories I'm hearing aren't cool. Now, people don't have to renew tickets. It's not like it's, you need – it's not, not water. Like you don't need it to live. But some of them have been in family generations for a while. And let's just let's just say there were there were some business decisions made on the Jays side, and I've heard about them. Mm-hmm. So the fact that this report is out there, I'll, I'll agree with you on that front. The fact that this report is out there means is is the biggest sign yet that, despite the fact I don't think they got it in any of those press conferences we saw. Mm. No, they didn't. Point in the last four weeks, they got it. Yeah, I don't know why it took that long because they could have they could have saved themselves some garbage because mm-hmm. none of them went well. Well, I didn't think Shapiro was went well either, um, but. It's definitely a clear indication that uh, they're not drawing three million next year. Mm-hmm. If, I mean, if, you, if you think Dalton Varsho back and and the hitting coach back and everyone back is mm-hmm. is going to get you to the next level, quote unquote, no, 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 no. Yeah. So I don't know. Again, it's not going to be Otani. I don't think I it's going to be realistic either. on that. Yeah. Like like Kawhi had to come here. Yeah, I know the deal. Like I mean, it's it's it's. I know what you're saying, but it's not going to be Otani. Yeah. So whoever, whoever it is, uh, it better be buzzworthy. And if I hear Joey Votto one more time, I'm going to throw yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, I don't think people. I'm going to throw up. Yeah. I don't like. Yeah. Is a 200 hitter what they need right now, guys? Yeah. Do we want to have this conversation? He's 40. Do we yeah. really want to have this conversation? Yeah. The guy who had ample chances to come here and really didn't feel like it. Yeah. Like, are we going to have this conversation? God. I, I love Mark Giordano, but the Ryan Reeves contract has made me decide that I'm good with no more athletes older than me on the teams I cheer for. <laughs> That's it. No more athletes older than me. <laughs> I, I, you don't need to give them money in free agency. That is you're my new. Gio, and you're yeah. not ripping on Gio, right? No, no, because Gio this is actually the man. Like I, yeah. Unless it's I'm Mark Giordano, it. then no free agents, no any athlete right. on the team older than me. It's good. I've reached the age. If you're older than me in sports and your name is not LeBron <laughs> or Mark Giordano, pass. Hard pass. It's it's done. I, I have oh, accepted oh my, my limitations in my age. Uh, yeah, I, I think the Blue Jays need a splash. Like, I, I genuinely do. And you're right. A lot of it probably has to do with because I, I, if I had to guess, these guys probably do look at this and say, hey, the, the smartest thing to do is to run it back and it's continuity and it's, you know, these guys had down seasons and blah, 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 blah. But 
they, they are probably feeling that pressure now from up top of, hey, all right, all you guys are back. Well, we got to have something change. And it, it just, it's always felt like because of the reasons you said, I think the prospects are a little bit better than the casuals like me know. And I refer to me as a casual in the farm systems. Like, I don't know who these guys are, but yeah, I just I saw. I don't consider you a casual, but go ahead. No, no, but I, I don't, I don't you, know who these not. dudes are. They, man, I just saw, again, this is how little I know about prospects. As I saw, there was like some all-star game for prospects and the Blue Jays had a bunch of guys. And I was like, I don't know who any of you are. <laughs> I don't know. It's just like, do you, <laughs> you guys could walk in the room right now and I'd be like, are these the new interns? And they'd be like, no, these are the Blue Jays farm system all-stars. I was like, all right, cool. I don't know. Uh, but I did see Baseball America had the Jays uh, pitching prospects. I think I five and I went wow that really surprises me so good for them good for them that they have that but ultimately what you said rings true is they don't have top tier prospects that can get them in on the the top tier kind of guys in the trade market right they, they don't so in order for them to be able to do that it's got to be some type of a player off the roster and they've got two guys who are really attractive it's Bo and it's Vlad and I would guess that right now they're trying to figure out what an extension looks like for these guys and basically trying to do what we always thought was coming, which was which one of them is going to get a realistic contract? Which one of them do we feel better about long-term? I feel like the bet, the better bet is Bo, but he's going to be way more expensive. The lottery ticket is Vladdy, but he'll probably be also expensive. So your best move is to probably just trade Vlad if you can get kind of anything plus-plus back for him. But again, reading this piece... Maybe it's just dawning on me that they're even going, no, 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 they'll even move Bo to shake things up because they, they do need that significant change. I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Thanks well, for bringing well, that to No, it's all good. Do you not get more for Bo, though? Oh, you get way more for Bo. Yeah, no question. Bo's under contract for the next two years, and he's, he's set. Wherever's trading for him knows that they're going to break the bank on him. There's just He's a shortstop who can you know hit 300. You're, you're definitely getting more. Um, I think it's a bit more of an awkward fit because you do have to force him in defensively. He's good, not great there. And you probably wonder how he's going to age with that. But I think probably fine. But yeah, no question you're getting way more for Bo. You, you know, like no absolute. And also a guy who's just completely committed to the game, loves baseball, right? Like who's the guy that he empathized or that he related to was Marcus Simeon. He cried when that guy left the Blue Jays organization. I think he's like a quiet leader, but you never question just the the amount he's invested in this game. Yeah, you clearly get more, but that's the problem is if you're trying to win now and you're removing Boba Shett, it, it's, it's hard to imagine that not feeling like a lateral move, right? If you're moving Vlad, sure. the feeling is, hey, you're selling, you're selling low, but that ultimately it could go lower. And so you got to get out now. You might have to, but that, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with GMs not making that calculation. Mm-hmm. I'm not making the right calculation on that because that's a tough one. Like, just can, can can he go lower is 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 interesting to me. But what, like in terms of the whole Toronto can. scene right now, mm-hmm. I I hope I hope he doesn't. No, lower when you look at the disaster. whole Toronto scene, mm-hmm. like I'm, one thing that's happening that you and I think you and I have kind of talked about this a little bit. Mm-hmm. Having executives lose their jobs is getting rarer and rarer around here. Yeah. What I love though are those decisions on the horizon where no one can hide. Nealand within the next 12 months. Mm-hmm. Siakam within the next 12 months. Bo and Vladdy. Clock is ticking. You want to throw Lorenzo and Sinian there? Go ahead. <laughs> I, like, well, <laughs> we could. Yeah. Um, I watched like, him score he, a sweet goal live this year, but I think it was the only goal he scored. <laughs> well, like, you saw the greatest moment of TFC season. Yeah, I did. I did. I was there was, against Nashville. <laughs> you were there. Yeah. You were there. Yeah. All for one. You were there. Um <laughs> But like you can't like you can't hide with these deals. Yeah. 
and people are going to get exposed here. And I just want, I can't wait to see everyone's cards. I'm really looking forward to this because just everyone's so comfortable, man. Yeah. Like we have more, we put more of a priority in a right field bar than we do the team. Mm-hmm. Like that gets as many headlines around here as anything else. Like, oh, now I can walk into Scotiabank and just grab my juice and not pay for it and mm-hmm. walk out. Mm-hmm. Holy cow. What an innovation. It is nice, though. Like, it, yeah, it kicks ass. I'm yeah, not going to lie. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm you picked times. the best feature. You should have picked a different I one. Because I was like, I no, that one, one. Like, especially I, in tip culture times where I hate yeah. not hitting, I hate hitting the button still, but I, I do it. And it's just, yeah, the, the stop and goes are, whew, what an innovation. I picked the wrong thing. Yeah, you did, you did. But anyway, switch. sorry, go it's on. Didn't mean to derail you. Just, I, I won't let anybody fair. attack stop and goes. Fair enough, fair enough. But I just, like, like we're going to see moments here. It's just the lack of movement on that front drives me nuts. I agree. It drives me absolutely nuts. And I'm not saying everyone goes every year. That's not realistic. It's rash. It's dumb. I get it. But there are certain moments. The Leafs have had five. Mm Mm-hmm. And the Jays just had theirs, where it's like, we're really doing this again? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. We're really coming back, and you're hearing what you're hearing, but the board seems happy, so it's all good. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, the, but the Jays example is where, like, that's starting to change a little bit. Yeah. Did you run into one Blue Jay fan after that who said, I'm good with it? Uh, no. I did. Everybody's pissed. Uh, again, I... Everybody. Yeah. Mike Wilner was pissed. Yeah. Like everybody was pissed. Yeah. <laughs> was Honestly. I, I don't know. You know, like when you lose Wilner, you're done. Yeah, I don't like know. it's I I'm I'm, yeah. I'm just throwing it out there. I've known Mike a long time. Love Mike. Yeah. But like every like the media yeah. now after the Shapiro thing, a lot of people turned quickly, which I found weird because I don't think the Shapiro press conference went well. Yeah, at all. I thought it was, that was a strange one too. I was like, oh, this was even it yeah. actually it started well because it was propped up against Atkins, who literally was doing the worst you could possibly do. It was almost an <laughs> SNL skit where you know when they couldn't make fun of Trump because Trump was just so outlandish that they couldn't get anybody to do impressions of him, and they're like, this is a real problem in the writers' room. That's how I feel like it was talking about Ross Atkins. You just go, hey, just run the tape. I, I don't have really anything to say on this because there it is. It's all right there for you. It's 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 there. Uh, so, yeah, if we're comparing it to that, Chapiro's was much better, but it started to go off the rails like midway through. Uh, once he started to like actually get challenged, it was downhill. When it was just apologies, I was like, "This guy's really good at apologizing." Like <laughs> he's, you know, if if he would, if he if we were in a relationship and he cheated on me, I feel like he could get me back. You know, like he'd be like, "Hey, listen," I, I'd be like, mm, "You know, he this could make is a case. Yeah, he could make a case. <laughs> he would really, he would sell it well. He would he really would build s- a bar in right field and make a yes, case. Yes, exactly. That's yeah. just it. Uh, but yeah. I, you're right. That's a really great point is, and, and the one that I made earlier, I, or the one that I've been saying is, I think for a while in Toronto, it was just so up and down and there were way too many changes, right? It was, oh, a couple of years and this coach or this GM is gone, especially with the Leafs. Felt like upheaval was every few seasons. That now it's almost like we've zagged in the completely opposite direction where continuity has gone too far. We, we got to find a happy medium where guys are actually accountable in the city so that there is pressure to win so that you do feel like it's somewhere like the Red Sox where after a couple of years of Heim Bloom and they go, yep, you know what? You try to rebuild. Some of the stuff wasn't even your fault, like the Mookie Betts trade, but we're the Red Sox and we got to win. You want to feel a little bit more of that attitude in the city. Um, you good on this? Because I do want to talk to you about TFC. Yeah, yeah. Go, ahead. Go, okay. ahead, go ahead. So I got two thoughts on TFC. One is, I don't know what happened because it really did feel like there was a moment with TFC that they, 
no one's ever going to enter like the, the like I don't think the MLS is ever going to be Major League Baseball or the NBA or the NFL. Obviously not. But it, it really did feel like the MLS and TFC were really something in this city. And yeah, can it bounce back? Of course, is winning cure stuff? I'm sure. But seeing just poor John Molinaro as the only guy in that media room was a was a what was a real wake up call to how far this franchise has fallen. And and I'm curious from your vantage point is can they recover from this? Like can can this team even with winning now ever capture people the way that they did when they were in those back-to-back championship games and it really did feel like TFC was entering a different kind of conversation in the city. Well, let's let's start with the postseason availability. Yeah, why weren't you there? People, well, let's start there yeah. because, like, for a lot of people listening, they don't care, and I get why they wouldn't care. But I think it speaks to organization. I mean, not the organization, but just an organized group of people where they go out there at the first opportunity and put some kind of face on what happened. The Atkins presser, they try to hide it on Thanksgiving, Saturday morning. Like, bad organizations hide stuff. Okay. This TFC media availability was, like, what, four weeks late? Something like that? I have no it idea. Was, I, I don't either, because I had forgotten it didn't yeah. happen. I have zero I clue. I a room with, like, two reporters in it, and then I would say, oh, that's TFC. Yeah. Like, the, the, the amount of hiding that went on after the season was cowardly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely cowardly. Secondly... This, this, if in MLS, when you pay like two or three guys all the money, you know what you need? You need some kind of youth system. Mm. And the one thing that really terrifies me as a T, like if you're a TFC supporter, because I think that to answer your other question, I think they can bounce back because the support is there. Mm. They're pissed. But that, that fan base, that South Side loves that team, loves that team. And on a summer night, when they're decent, there's still what very few places in the city I'd rather be at than BMO Field. But in terms of the actual team, they're not a designated player or two away at all. This, this development system has been poor. And you need to surround those other guys with dudes making no money who are hungry and have talent and can do things. That, to me, was the startling aspect of this season. And Senior and some of the other guys, you know, if Berndusky just wanted to vape all the time, mm-hmm. okay, weird, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. The fact that they had no one behind them, behind Bradley, behind them, like it was thin. Mm. It was disgustingly thin. That on the field is going to be John Herdman's biggest issue because you don't fix that in, in two months or however long this MLS offseason is, short as offseason sports. Yeah. You don't fix that quickly. And look, you can go to some other leagues and go to Europe and go to uh, second division in Mexico and you try and find some guys. Okay. You have to hit. This is like Dubis after signing the four guys. Mm. Like you need, he, you need to find those players that hit at no cost or your youth system has to be good. And their youth system is not good. And they invest in almost watch that most of the year. What the hell are they with respect? What are they investing in? Mm-hmm. They're not ready. They're not close. So on the field, I think that you can always find a guy. They've done it before. Insignia didn't work. Jermaine Defoe didn't work. It wasn't a bloody big deal. You hit and you miss. I get that. But it's the other guys coming through that have to be good. Mm. 
And you can hit two designated players in this offseason if you're Bill Manning or whoever's running that team. You're still going to have to prove to me and a lot of the fans that were down there a lot that your supporting cast or your development system is worth piss because mm-hmm. I didn't see that. So off the field, I think they can recover. I firmly believe that. They have mm-hmm. a great fan base. On the field, boy, do they have to look at how they're doing things from a de- uh, development standpoint. Yeah, I, I guess the the thing for me, again, as a, as a real casual TFC is when they – turned their team into contenders and, and they won, they went to the MLS cup and then they win the MLS cup that there was a feeling for me of, okay, this organization is different now. Like they're, they're setting themselves apart as the gold standard of MLS, that this is going to be something where, Hey, okay, maybe they're not going to win every single year, but they're going to be competitive and they're going to draw people here and they're going to have business done differently. And seeing how you're right. It's part of it is that they hide it and this different, like there's a lot of mitigating factors for why a media day is like that. But seeing it look so amateurish that way was, oh, wait, no, now we're back to TFC before those MLS Cups, right, where they were yes. the laughing stock of MLS. And I went, that's, that's shocking to see it go from gold standard to laughing stock that rapidly. Like, that, that's the part of it that scared me because you cannot have that. Like you, like you said, it, you'll always have those diehards, right? You'll always have those diehards. But where you cannot have is the feeling like the people like me who will buy a ticket, who will pay attention if they're winning, go, oh, wait, they're the joke franchise again? Like, they're the, the team that doesn't win any playoff games? Like, what was it uh, before MLS Cup? They were the, the longest drought on a playoff win in every team of the N- MLS? Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, 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 that was it. They were just, they were the worst. You can't have people feel like there's a return to that or that there's even a potential to return to that. And so I, I kind of feel like, yeah, there's a little pressure here on the next season for them to just try to get back to a little bit of form. But this brings me to the last topic that I have for you today. When TFC, when I saw the media veils, I saw a lot of tweets of people being like almost giddy, like people being excited to see this for TFC. When the Argos lost, I saw a lot of reaction from people in my tweets, from people uh, like texting into the show, whatever, whatever evidence you want to use of almost like not happy the Argos lost, but ready to celebrate it and almost laugh at people for enjoying a sports product that isn't MLB, NBA, NFL, or uh, what I missed, Major League Baseball. I can't remember which one of them I didn't say, but you get it, the core four. Uh, NHL, yeah, whatever, the, the core four sports. And I've been thinking about this last couple of days about Toronto and why it is this way here where whenever a team tries to climb up and whenever a team gets a moment, whether it's the Argos or TFC or even the Marlies when they won the Calder Cup, why it is that there's so many people here that want to celebrate a downfall of one of those teams, why it is that it's almost like there's a a faction of sports fans in the city that find it offensive that another team would get a moment in the sun and are giddy to see them fall? Well, I just think it's the math on titles. Like, we're talking about Jays and Leaf fans, right? Like, that's who we're talking about, who just get angry at anyone else who's won in the last 30 years or, or 60 oh, this years. This is an interesting perspective. This isn't one I had thought that's, of. That, that's how I look at it, because I've heard, like, not everyone inside MLS, MLSC was happy the Raptors won. You think that made the Leafs look good? No, nope. Argos title, the great story for the Argos. Makes certain fan bases in the city feel a little dumb. Raptors win the NBA title, same feeling. TFC wins an MLS Cup, same feeling. Like I think it's that level of insecurity. 
I don't think Argo fans feel that about other teams right now. I don't think TFC fans feel TFC had their moment. That's what I'm saying. I, I don't think that but it's I, those like, fan base, those diehards. They, they, they're like, we don't have this ever. I'm talking about it's the people on the outside that show up for a couple games or pay attention for a second or are so deeply invested in sports that they're aware of these things happening, even though they don't have like an actual interest in it, right? They're just, they're, they're so online or they're so on sportsnet.ca, whatever the hell, they're watching sports. So they're aware. Cause it, like, I agree with you that it's insecurity. My theory was, is that this is the part of Toronto where they don't want to be a part of Canada. Like they don't want to be, a, they don't want to recognize that we're part of a smaller country. Like they want to believe like we're the States, we're, we're part of America. And so seeing something like MLS there's people here that feel like we should have something better than that, even though that's what America has. With the Argos, they feel like they should have NFL and not a CFL product. They shouldn't have to care. They shouldn't have to stoop down to watch uh, an AHL team or an MLS team. Or And so there's, there's like, that's where the insecurity comes in. It's the same stuff that gets pissed off when the Raptors don't get enough credit and people get so nuts when the Blue Jays don't get enough quote-unquote credit. People go so nuts I think it has something to do with that, but I, I can't quite put my finger on it because it's just it's there's a nastiness to it. There's a there's an ugliness to it that I just don't think is normal in other sports markets, and I think it goes beyond the championship math. But it's nasty in both, like in terms of your point and my point. It's nasty. Yeah. I agree with it. Like I remember in 2019, who did they get in the free round? in the first round. It was Orlando, mm. and somebody was watching a feed uh, from TNT. And they were like, they were upset that Charles and Shaq and Ernie and Kenny were like talking so much about Orlando. And I had to like, I had to literally take their hand and explain to them, they don't care about our market. For X amount of time, they get angry. Yeah. So you talk negatively, negatively about them and then they get angrier. Or positively in your shill. It's one that you can't win. Yes, exactly. If it's positive, then another fan base is like, who cares? That's my favorite reply to a tweet I put out. Yeah. Who cares? Thanks for the input. I know. Johnny85216. Mine is my least favorite is this aged poorly. When I see that, I'm like, I. Oh, this aged poorly. I can't wait to see that guy. 80 pounds (laughs) overweight, living in his mom's basement. This aged poorly. poorly, When sometimes I get that, like, DM to me or something, I'm like, you took the time out of your day to send me this. Like, you thought that this was, like, a really insightful moment for you, where I was like, damn. This is, yeah. (laughs) I did not. I did not mean to steer this conversation. No, 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 but I, I get it. I get it. It's like, but this, this is it. I, I do think that there is a different level of insecurity with fans in this city, ultimately. Like, that's what we're tapping into. I'm with you. Like, like why can't, like, I love, I know it doesn't seem like it sometimes, mm-hmm. but I want all the teams to succeed. Same. I don't even why, understand why, why you, you wouldn't not, want that. Yeah. Why would you not want, like, I, I, we're preaching yeah. each other's choirs here, clearly. Yeah. But it's out there. To your point, it is out there. But I think there's two specific reasons for it. One is the general insecurity that exists in the city for your team. And, and the other is just, like, if you're a Leaf fan watching everyone else win a title, part of you, you know, if, there are Toronto fans who love all the teams. God bless you. But there were Leaf fans and there were Jay fans. There were certain fans who didn't care about that Raptors run at all. Mm-hmm. I'll never understand that. Or the TFC run or hey, Argos are defending Grey Cup. Like, yeah, I don't get it. I think that plays. I think that plays into it too. But I think it's a it's a fascinating point you bring up. Yeah, I have. I've seen it a million times. I have never had a conversation like this where we've kind of tried to dissect it, 
because I just chalk it up to idiocy and then I yeah. move on with my day. Same. But, I normally I do that, but it was just these two things coincide at the same time. TFC's no, it, thing it, it, and then fair. the Argos yeah. thing happened and I went, why are we the way that we are? Like, why, why, why is it this way here? And I think part of it too is... It used to be that there wasn't enough coverage of some of these teams, so their fan bases would be really pissed off when they didn't get that coverage, right? Like, they would want to be at the top of the pile if something sure. was happening because they were sick of just the Leafs leading every single night no matter what. Like, the Leafs could be trash and the Raptors could be doing something great and they would steal the moment. Remember, like, what? It was the first, the big Giovinco goal happens and something, the Leafs did something. I can't remember. I think it was maybe even Lamorello that day. And... It just completely erases it. And if I'm a TFC fan, I'm going, damn, give us our moment. Like, someone talk about us. The problem is, is like, you don't want me talking about TFC. I don't watch enough games. I don't know the history of the team well enough. So when people go, you didn't spend enough time on TFC, I'm like, if I did, you'd be crushing me going, you don't know anything, you idiot. And I would go, hand up, correct. Like, this is true. This is absolutely true. true. So let me just leave it for someone else. Now there's coverage of every single team everywhere. There's a million podcasts. There's a million writers. There's a million bloggers. Everybody should get enough of their moment in the sun. We don't need to be this way anymore. Like, I get it then. I, I don't get it now. Like, I, I don't understand why you would be pissed off that we would spend five minutes on talking about an Argos game when there's literally so many hours of Leafs content that you can't get through it with the rest of your life. Correct. I'm with you 100%. And by the way, I can, listen, I, I don't know if I'm right on this. I think that Javinko goal when he arrived... Yeah. That goal happened in 2015. I think like 30 minutes later, Russell Martin hit the home running. That, that's what it was. That's what it was. Well, is that what yeah, it was? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's, that's what it was. It was just like, it, it's one of those things where that franchise, they had a hilarious bout of something awesome would happen and then something massive in one Toronto sports would happen yeah. like, yeah, right yeah. the next day. And you would go, hmm, is this even planned? <laughs> like, is this some of this? <laughs> like, Russell Martin is an accident, but some of it felt like, why are they deciding this day to be doing this? It's a little weird. Uh, anyway, yeah, uh, I agree. Uh, that's where I'm at with it. We got to run. We're up against it. Always fun, buddy. Let's do this again soon. Appreciate you, man. Have a good day. See you, pal. Here goes Sid Sixero. Quick break. And then a very short what we missed. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. All right, Tommy Buns is coming to the area. Tom Segura. His Come Together Tour hits Casino Rama Resort on May 3rd, and we are giving away tickets for the rest of the week. So to enter, all you got to do is listen to the episodes of the J.D. Bunkers podcast and listen for the code word, which today is come together. Text, come together to 590-590 right now. Uh, I'll be giving away another uh, pair of tickets tomorrow, but tickets officially go on sale Friday, November 17th at 10 a.m. on Ticketmaster. Okay, what did we miss, fellas? Okay. Oh, different from all right. Yeah, you you're like a bad shooter. You have a gather move. You know, like you gotta, you, you you gotta, gotta gather. Prepare yourself. Yeah. You know, catch the ball in the pocket, yeah. bend yeah. the knees. <laughs> no, you should already be ready. You be ready to shoot. That's the whole point. That's why I would cook you in hoops. We need you like, like Clay Thompson, ready yeah. to like. You know, it's funny. I actually, you know, this this topic. Get just say it. What it is? Uh, Gilly the King, affectionately yeah. known as King Gilly, challenged Jamal Crawford. To a one-on-one and said he, he'll probably duck him. Jamal Crawford will duck the one-on-one versus mm-hmm. Gilly the King. He mentioned a bunch of artists that he's beaten one-on-one, including Chris Brown. So Jamal Crawford went on Twitter to accept and said that he will destroy Gilly the King. So. Yeah, okay. So there's a couple things here. One, um, I am the Jamal Crawford to you, the Gilly the Kid. <laughs> this is the exact same level of... 
dreaming. Just insanity that Armin has is just like Armin's maybe five four, and he. I've seen. <laughs> Bro, you him have shoot. two inches on me. And yeah, oh boy, you're gonna have to learn what two inches is. <laughs> you're, you're, we gotta <laughs> get send you. And it would be just horrifically bad. And that's you thinking you could have taken me. It was the same as this. And also, I passed off the Hooper of the Fan 590 to Jr. Uh, because he hung his jersey in the studio at the uh, for the Raptor show, which I thought was amazing. But <laughs> this is actually okay. So clearly, Gilly Kid's out of his mind, and he's just yelling, and it's just it's it's weird. It's like I don't know if he's drunk or what's happening here, but he's just yelling about different rappers he beat one on one and how he gives buckets. And I was like, all right, cool. I'm sure. I, and I guess what I'm sure he's an awesome player. I'm sure he's way better than me. Uh, but the idea that you could beat a recently retired NBA player, especially one who's yeah. like Jamal Crawford, yeah. if you were going to pick like, hey, you need 10 guys who have ever played to win you one-on-one. Like if there was a one-on-one tournament and you could take 10 players all time, Jamal Crawford might be on the list. <laughs> okay? So it's, it's a very different game, one-on-one versus, you know, the NBA. Uh, like an actual five-on-five is really insightful stuff I'm saying to you right now. But Jamal Crawford is one of the worst guys you could possibly pick. But... I actually love that. I hope they play. You know yeah, why? Know. But here's why. It's not to see him get embarrassed. It's a reminder for those of us that talk on a microphone every once in a while. Is it's fun to do this job, and it's it's it's. We I think that athletes should be held accountable, and that fans should be able to criticize, and that everyone should be able to just kind of say their piece. But also, it would be serve as a great reminder of how we're not the same as those humans. Like, we're not the same as those guys. Like, Mike Mallott and Charles Rodney just came in here. Mike Mallott shook my hand, and I was like, oh, my God. I had a quick thought of what would happen if he was like, I'm going to hurt you now. I'd be like, yeah, this would be really bad. And it would be nice to see every once in a while, we should basically have a sacrifice, you know, like an, an old school sacrifice where every year one media person gets sacrificed <laughs> to the athletes, and we see what that media person looks like playing in a sport versus those people like it wouldn't it be awesome if one day I had to show up I'm like criticizing Josh Allen today and then I got to go to Bill's practice and strap on the pads and yeah, he just trucks me over. Off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like now you think about what it's like to talk trash about Josh Allen today I'm like yes sir <laughs> I think it's important I think it would be important anyway subscribe to the podcast leave five stars share with your friends please for love of God uh, I'll see you tomorrow